Welcome to Bloody Mary's, a queer horror movie podcast. This episode, we're looking at Nightbreed. I'm the rotting old woman in the bathtub, Sean. And I'm the spoopy child under your duvet, Alex. (laughs) (laughs) We are horror nerds and flatmates from Hackney, um, and our pronouns are they, them. Uh, Some content notes for this episode. Uh, We will be swearing, as usual, uh, and uh, we will also be talking about some violence. Uh, It's a a fairly content note-free episode, apart from, as always, huge spoilers. Um, Definitely watch the film first if you plan on watching it, and as always... Discretion is advised. So, Nightbreed was released in September 1990. Um, It was written and directed by Clive Barker, who also did the screenplay and based on one of his books, so very Clive Barker. Um, it also features music from Danny Elfman, um, who in that same year did the music for Dick Tracy and also Edward Scissorhands. Um, oh, busy bee. Yes, and yeah, just the year before did the Batman film. Um, well, actually, I think he's been constantly busy since the 90s, to be <laughs> <laughs> Um Barker was given a, um 11 million budget, which is considerable increase from his 2 million, which he had to work on Hellraiser. Uh, his goal was to actually make a sort of Star Wars of horror films with Nightbreed. Um, Clive Barker always loved monsters, I think that's kind of uh, evident, um, and felt that there's a corner of all of us that envies their powers and would love to live forever or to fly or change shape at will. So when I came to make a movie about monsters, I wanted to create a world we'd feel strangely at home in. Um, he was interested in creating a horror mythology from the ground up and developing characters that would live on in sequels. From the ground uh, up. Uh, um, uh, Barker's original version ran two and a half hours and Fox asked him to cut an hour, um, prompting editor Richard Marden, uh, also who worked on Hellraiser 1 and 2, and something for you, Sean, uh, Carry On film, Carry On England. Oh, the worst one. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, so he left the projects. He was annoyed about that. Um, Nightbreed was cut to two hours and then again to 102 minutes. Um, at the time of its release, the film was a commercial and critical failure. Um, in several interviews, Barker protested that the film company tried to sell it as a standard horror, uh, flash slasher film, um, and the powers that be had no real working knowledge of the Nightbreed story. Um, apparently, as well, like um, for advertising the film, they weren't allowed to show any monsters in the trailer on TV, and so oh, it made weird. it really hard to <laughs> yeah. show what it was really about. Although saying that, in defence of the marketing people, I have watched it and also don't really have a working knowledge <laughs> of the Nightbreed story. <laughs> um, so yeah, so over time, Barker expressed disappointment with the final cut approved by the studio, and always longed for a recovery of the reels of the film, so it might be re-edited. Um, since its theatrical release, uh, Nightbreed has achieved cult status. And actually, in 2014, the original film elements uh, for much of the, the cut material were reobtained and edited into a director's cut. Um, How long is the director's cut, do you know? Uh, I don't. I think, well, I think it's like two and a half hours. Um, but yeah. Because the version we watched is two hours, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, which made me think that it must have been like a different version from the theatrical cut, which must have been even weirder if it was so short, but... Anyway. I'm not sure the added length did anything. Stop saying it so much Clarifying so the on. plot. I didn't hate it. It was just clunky. <laughs> so, for Nightbreed in the city of Midian, 
Um, Barker enlisted his special effects makeup collaborator Bob Keane, who worked on Hellraiser 1 and 2 and Candyman. In the beginning, Keane and Barker had full creative control of designing the Nightbreed and the story. Um, eventually, though, the studio got cold feet on the two and a half hour romantic dark fantasy um, that made the, the monsters and heroes. Um, so they pushed to make Dr. Decker more of a central character. Um, apparently producers expressed concern that the monsters are the good guys uh, to which Barker replied that's the point mm-hmm. planned stop motion animation sequences in cre- involving creatures in medium were trimmed and scrapped um, scenes were edited out um, and more scenes with Decker were added to expand his character and motivation uh, the idea was to make it more of a straightforward horror film um, in the cuts they also lost a scene featuring Susie Quattro uh, who was apparently meant to play Laurie's flirty rocker friend. Um, and apparently Neil Gaiman was also an extra in the club scene that was cut from mm. the final cut. Club scene. The club scene. <laughs> uh, you know the club scene. <laughs> um, Keen wasn't the only Hellraiser connection either. Uh, Doug Bradley, who plays Pinhead in uh, Hellraiser, uh, plays Lylesberg, who's that kind of old man with the cuts on his face, which turned out to be eyes. Oh, yeah. Oh. Um, and uh, the Chatterbox Cenobite, um, an actor named Nicholas Vince, appears as uh, Kinski, who's the, the moon-faced or banana-faced man, however oh, you yeah. want to see it. <laughs> um, and Simon Bramford uh, plays Onaka, who's the sailor one, and in uh, the Hellraiser films was uh, the Butterball character. Oh. <laughs> the Butterball was the sort of larger one with the sunglasses. Yeah, which was on. the sailor one? Who's the sailor one in this, though? The fit one with the kind of bird necklace. Oh, and the tattoo, the, like chest tattoos. boobs, yeah. Oh, yeah, he was a fitty. Yeah. Um, Oliver Parker appeared briefly in the first two Hellraiser films as a workman and mover, but... Um, then also is in Nightbreed as Pelequin, who's the kind of guy who looks like he has like fleshy dreads. You know, oh, yeah. That yeah. guy. Um, He's the one that bites Boone. Yes, he does bite Boone. Um, <laughs> Boone biter. Boone biter. Boone booby biter. <laughs> um, other notable cast members um, obviously Decker, who's played by David Cronenberg, um, and uh, a young Hugh Quashi, who Brits will recognise as long standard recurring character Rick Griffin in Holly. Oh, sorry, not Hollyoaks. <laughs> uh, I, mean, I don't think that's any more silly than what it's no, actual yeah, case. It's, it's Holby City. Um, and apparently he's been in over 600 episodes of Holby City, which apparently has over a thousand episodes. Which is, which is a, bonkers. Which is a horrific aside. <laughs> <laughs> that is the scariest part <laughs> of this whole thing. <laughs> um, finally, just some random people who added to it. So the horror writers uh, for Nightmare on Elm Street 5, uh, John Skip and Craig Spector, have uh, cameos as corpses in the hotel room scene where everyone's dead. Oh, yeah. So, the film starts in kind of like a spooky, sort of like misty scene, and you start seeing flashes of kind of like these kind of fantastical monsters like running around, sort of larking about, um, and it looks like someone's being chased, essentially. It also looks like the beginning of Cats or something. Oh, yeah. They're all kind of like... (laughs) Yes, it's very much like cats. That's a spoiler, by the way. (laughs) In that it's completely (laughs) plotless. Sadly, no musical numbers. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, like it's um, this person running away and they get some gated bit and then uh, he wakes. And then we see 
beautiful boon um, uh, in bed, um, who's then straddled by his girlfriend. Um, and uh, yeah, so then they, they have a little chat about going away and getting away from it all. Um, Boone describes the dream of Midian, um, where a city where monsters are accepted. Uh, Boone talks a little bit about how like his nightmares are getting less bad um, and that, yeah, it's not like as big a deal as it used to be. Um, and at this point he gets a call from someone who ends up being his psychotherapist from the past um, called Dr. Philip Decker. Um, and uh, he calls him into his office uh, to see him. He, he says, suggests that night, but then he's like, no, I'll see you tomorrow. Um, so he turns up at the office and uh, Decker is like, oh, um, the police came to see me and um, I think you did a load of murders, by the way, and maybe your dreams weren't actually dreams. Yeah, I thought this was really weird because it's like the police have said, um, asked me if any of my clients might be, or patients might be, um, uh, might have done these. And it's just like, why would your, one of your patients have done this? Like, are, oh, yeah. are people who are going to see therapists all <laughs> likely to be murderers? I know I am. <laughs> and so, yeah, he puts a load of photos out on the table and then says, like, oh, yeah, you talked about these in your sessions. And he's like, I don't remember that. And then he's like, I'll play you the tapes. But then he doesn't. Um, and uh, it sort of becomes apparent, actually, after the fact that it's actually Decker um, who's killed the, the patients and is trying to frame Boone. Um, Gee, when do we see that murder scene? Isn't that before that? The, 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 the couple and the oh, kid? Oh, yeah. before that scene. Yeah. So, um, so yes, uh, rewind to a moment before this, um, where it's in, in between him going to see him, actually, where um, we see a young family uh, lolloping around in their home, yes. having a lovely time, giggling and, and tickling. Um, <laughs> Just the old giggle and tickle. Um, and a little boy calls for his mum, and she goes, and he's like, I've seen a bad man. And uh, she's like, oh, don't worry, go to sleep, I'll come up and see you in a bit. Uh, she goes to the kitchen, opens the fridge door, um, and then when she closes it, ah, it's a scary monster! Classic. <laughs> um, who is Boone in disguise, um, who's wearing... It's a, not Boone. Oh, not Boone, sorry. The uh, Doctor. Doctor Decker. Um, um, I, I like how he looks, actually. He's got, like, a mask on, and it's, like, little buttons for his eyes, yeah. which remind me of Coraline. Coraline. Yes. Coraline? Yeah, but... Um, and, <laughs> uh, and, like, a sort of sloping mouth off to one side. But he reminds me about a bit more, like, a normal-headed size... <laughs> a normal-sized head version of the one from Trick or Treat. Oh, You know, right. the, like, the big, kind of huge, yeah, round, sack like, head. sack head. Oh, we've watched two films with sack heads, obviously. That is the so... theme for this uh, <laughs> this duo. <laughs> Be sacked ghouls. <laughs> so, yeah, then he kills the whole family. You don't see him killing um, the little boy. anyone in detail, especially the little boy. But, yeah, the mum really gets it. She looks mm. like she drops through time. Oh, no, we do see into detail of the dad because he comes behind him when he's watching oh, yeah, a sport and slits his throat. Yeah, that's right. I think he's playing... Icy, pucky, slidey, pretty. <laughs> yes. Um, so anyway, back to the doctor's office. Uh, he's convinced uh, Boone that he's done all these murders and he has 24 hours to um, turn himself in. Um, at this point, he also gives him some medication to try and calm him down, which turns out to be LSD. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, Boone's really freaking so, out. So, if he wants him to turn himself in... 
And at this, because this is the first time I'd seen it, at this point, to me, it wasn't clear that Dr. Decker was the murderer. I guess it wouldn't be at this no, point. But, no. um, so does that mean he would have stopped doing the murders then, if he wanted him to yeah, hand okay. himself in? Excellent point. Thank you. I guess, actually, like, because he just uses a knife, um, <laughs> he could carry on, just so I think most murders are like, done with knife, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, maybe just slightly change his MO. Yeah. <laughs> or blame it on another one of his patients. Yeah. Oh, I found another one. You also, also said that you were doing murders. <laughs> yeah, it's like, maybe you should have disclosed this sooner. <laughs> Um, so, uh, while Boone's all fucked up on the LSD, he gets hit by a truck and taken <laughs> to the hospital. Um, he does have quite a rough ride in terms yeah. of injuries and deaths. <laughs> um, while he's there, he overhears, uh, a sort of, who looks like a crazy person, uh, ranting about Midian. Um, and, um, and he's like, what are you talking about? Uh, I want to go there... Um, and the guy's like, oh my god, you, you're meant to take me there, aren't you? You're like my test. Um, and he said, like, to prove that I'm, I'm really, um, from Midian, I'll show you. And pulls out these funny, like, thumb blade things, um, and cuts off a lot of his head. <laughs> yeah, he kind of, like, um, it looks like he's trying to peel like, his face off yeah, or something. Yeah, like, scalps himself, basically, and it's, like, quite gruesome, actually. Um... So, yeah, he's then in, in the kerfuffle of him doing that. Oh, it's quite the to-do. It's quite a nonsense. <laughs> um, uh, the police arrive with uh, Dr. Decker, um, and uh, because of all the kind of craziness, um, he uh, ends up escaping Boone while they're sedating, uh, who ends up being Narcissus uh, from uh, the Midian house. Straggly hair. The House of Midian. <laughs> <laughs> Come through my Mars. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, so, in, uh, while he escapes, he, well, he gets directions, sorry, I forgot to mention, he gets directions from Narcissus to get to Midian before he leaves. So then he's just driving there, um, and uh, it's, he finds a massive graveyard, um, and he goes in, and uh, he immediately... Um, yeah, encounters two of the night breed, which doesn't seem like they're hiding themselves very well. No, just <laughs> lurking around <laughs> in the cemetery anyway. Um, it's the two characters, uh, Kinsey, uh, Kins, uh, yeah, Kinsky, um, and Palaquin, um, and yeah, and uh, Palaquin's like, <laughs> I'm thinking, like, oh, I went down to St. James's Park to take a look at the Palaquin. <laughs> <laughs> um, Pelican's like um, really into um, Boone, like he would be. Um, Which one is he? Pelican's the fleshy drag dreads guy. Oh yeah, I can say fleshy drag queen. <laughs> <laughs> Extra flesh. Um, and yeah, so then he's just like, he's like, oh, I'm gonna eat you. Your meat, um, and he says you're a natural, um, which uh, they they end up referring to like humans as basically as naturals. Um, and then he was just like, yeah, he keeps saying like, yeah, you're natural, not night breed. And then he's like, I killed people, I deserve to be here. And then he goes, shut the fuck up. Uh, <laughs> um, and um, and then he was like, I want meat. Um, at which point. Um, yeah, the sailor one, um, Kinski, uh, sort of, I think, sort of wrestles him away, and then they, they, he's like, get away, and, like, Boone escapes outside. Um, but he does take a bite out of him. Oh, yeah, he does give him a little a little bite, love bite, <laughs> 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 on his chest. Um, 
And um, and yeah, so then um, he's, he runs out of the graveyard um, and outside waiting for him is a load of the popo um, and the doctor um, and they just shoot him. Like, oh, because the doctor say, like, goes up to him oh, and speaks yeah. to him and it's like, he's got a gun, he's he got a gun. Turns, and then the guy um, from Holby City, uh, the inspector, comes Quite irresponsible for a doctor. Yeah, <laughs> uh, comes along and like, where's the gun? And he's like, oh, he reached inside of his jacket. It's a kind of standard police horrible story. Mm. He's in the morgue and Laurie, his girlfriend, who I haven't really talked about very much because she's not in it tons at this point, is, yeah, like, like sad and sees the body and, like... And, yeah, obviously Decker has been like, yes, he did all the murders at this point, so he's definitely kind of, like, even though he's dead. Um, so, actually, yeah, the, the mortician removes all the bullets and leaves the room and then all this kind of magical, sparkly energy happens to him and he wakes up and it's... Uh, they focus on the bite on his chest, so obviously... Yeah, he, he, the bite turns him into Nightbreed, mm. and he jumps out the window. Yeah. It's almost like kind of um, modern-day vampire-y yeah. sort of thing, I guess. Yeah. We'll bite you and you'll become one of us. Yeah, I, I, didn't, so I didn't... Actually, that does make sense, because then at the end, it's like completely disregard yeah. the rest of the plot, <laughs> but he refuses to bite Laurie. Right... Yeah, because I just thought he was Nightbreed because he was having all the dreams about it, but I thought he'd just been there and then come alive or something and then forgotten about the... Yeah, I didn't necessarily make the connection that that was all. Um, So, yeah, so at this point, he then um, turns up... um, Well, it's weird because he actually turns up at at Midian um, and he's taken downstairs, downtown, (laughs) to Midian Real, which is under the graveyard. Um, And... um, has uh, an initiation ceremony. At this point, he's wearing, like, a leather jacket, but no top, and his jeans. And it's like, where did you get your clothes from? <laughs> but anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, and he's given an initiation ceremony um, and told about Baphomet. Uh, well, they, they pronounce it Baphomet. Um, uh, who's... They're funny. Baphomet came to slay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and they give him like an initiation ceremony which involves like one of them putting their hand in some magical jizz and putting it on his chest <laughs> um, and it's like ouchie and then he's nightbreed uh, cut back to Laurie uh, she's trying to figure out what happened obviously like you would she starts investigating Midian um, and uh, ends up going to a town nearby and uh, befriending a woman called Cheryl Ann um, mm, she's cool. Yeah, she is cool. I like Cheryl Ann. Um, and um, yeah, so they. She ends up finding the directions to Midian from the bar person, I think. It just says it's under the graveyard. Or... I, I, it's not very hidden, is it? No. I <laughs> think it'd be harder to get to. <laughs> um, so yeah, Cheryl Ann and her hit it off, and they decide to go together to, uh, to hit up the cemetery the yeah, next she's day. She's like. Yeah, I'll come with you. I don't have much to do tomorrow. In fact, I have nothing to do tomorrow. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, so then um, he... So the next day they wake up and meet. And um, Cheryl Ann talks about how she's met some sexy dude um, at the bar who's a doctor or something. Oh, no, she didn't say doctor. She's a businessman. He obviously mm. has a cover story. Um, and she's a bit hungover, feeling a bit ropey. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, she's got, like, two raw eggs and a shot of some alcohol. Oh, it's, yeah. like, some hangover cure. Disgusting. Um, anyway, so then they go... to the vom. Yeah, blah. I, I don't think I could down raw eggs on a hangover. Or ever, actually. I'm not sure. No, 
it's not on the top of my to-do list. Come on, he has to do it now. Oh, no, I don't want to. Yeah, I'll get, I'll get the egg. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so they go to the cemetery. Cheryl decides to stay behind for no apparent reason. She yeah, she, like, like, waits at the car. Yeah, she's like, I'll entertain myself. In a way that sounds like it's meant to be a double entendre or something, but it's just... Yeah, like uh, she's just going to sit in the car and finger herself. Yeah. <laughs> Red roar until she comes back. <laughs> oh, Cheryl Ann. <laughs> um, gone, gone too soon. <laughs> gone too soon. Well, yes, not yet, but soon. Um, and, um, and so then uh, what she thinks is her lover from last night turns up. Turns out it's only Dr. Stinky Pants, isn't it? Mm. Uh, who um, then uh, murders her. Uh, but uh, Laurie doesn't know this because she's inside the cemetery just uh, lolloping about. I don't know why I keep saying lolloping. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a film of lolloping. Yes, it's quite a lollop. Um, this um, is actually, I think, my favourite bit of the film, this bit where this, she finds... Yeah, she finds like a little weird, like, um, sort of pink, fleshy, wolfy sort of creature yeah. that's kind of like going... Eh! Like it's all helpless, cute. and it's yeah, it is very cute. Um, and um, she sees a woman who we find out is called Rachel. Um, She's called Rachel. I know, mild. The name, rest of them are all like Kinsky and yeah. Penequin <laughs> yeah. and Narcissa, and also Rachel. <laughs> uh, also feet Rachel. Um, so yeah, Rachel. Um, uh, whose power is to transform into smoke, which we find out later. But yeah, she pleads from the shadows of the crypt for Laurie to um, take the, the creature out of the sunlight and bring it to her. Um, you're not sure whether she's being tricked into like going underground and being killed by that breed at this point, but um, the moment she brings uh, the little like scraggly creature inside, um, she like, transforms into a little uh, normal-looking human child uh, with lovely ginger hair. Mm, called uh, Babette. Yes, correct. And yeah, then uh, Laurie's asking, like, do you know Boone? Like, where is he? And she's like, oh, you, you can't come down here. He's, he hasn't got any time for you <laughs> uh, That's actually none of your business. Yeah. Thanks for bringing my baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but she's like, but also I did save your baby, so maybe I should. Yeah. Um, actually, before this, you find out that when... Um, the like when they're attacking Boone at the beginning, they also talk about the law and it being that you can't kill or attack humans. And uh, so yeah, she she's able to just kind of like push her way down <laughs> into into the crypt. Um, uh, but the moment she reaches uh, like the bottom of the stairs, um, she there's loads of the monsters, and she's like, Ah, no, I'm done. This is gross. Um, and <laughs> I'm sorry, this is too spoopy. I, I thought it was going to be a bit spoopy, but this is too <laughs> spoopy. Um, so she then runs off uh, back to find Cheryl Ann, um, but it's not Cheryl Ann. It's Cheryl Ann's corpse. <laughs> um, it's Cheryl dead and uh, Decker. Um, and so Decker attempts his, uh, attempts his, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Decker attempts his, attempts his, I keep saying it, okay, well it's going to be attempts his from now on, uh, to use Laurie to draw Boone out of hiding, um, and, and the attempts is, is and the attempts is, is <laughs> as successful as, um, because, uh, Boone comes out, uh, and is like, 
yeah, it's like, oh my god, leave her then. And sort of chases Decker out of the graveyard. Um, I can't remember. Is Decker wearing his mask at this point? Or is he just out in normal day drag? Uh, well, he reveals himself to Laurie, actually. Because she's like, he, I forgot. Oh, yeah, he yeah, says yeah. like, hey, Laurie. And she's like, how do you know me? Oh, yeah. And he like takes his mask off. And she's oh, like, yeah. oh, it's you. Oh, no. Um, and yeah, then he I puts guess it back on. I just, yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't know why he bothers, really. It's um, pretty cool. Yeah, might as well. <laughs> a reveal. Everyone loves a reveal. <laughs> so, yeah, they're back in the graveyard, um, and uh, Boone chases uh, Decker out of the graveyard, uh, trying to catch him to kill him, I think. Um, but then um, Narcissus uh, straddles Laurie, and she's like, <laughs> and so he runs back to find out what's going on, and he's like, and Narcissus is face peely offy. Yeah, he's the face peely offy. So Laurie wakes up in the coffin uh, down in Midian and Rachel's there waiting for her. Um, and she's a bit like, ah. um, but then sort of calms down quite a lot, weirdly. Um, and uh, and Laurie, t- oh, sorry, Rachel tells her a little bit of the backstory of how they were basically hunted um, and persecuted and uh, they find their own sort of village underground. Well, um, uh, and uh, Bafomet is the one that sort of drawed them all there. Uh, drawed them. Um, anyway, I can't speak today. Um, so, um, so then did. Um, <laughs> it's very, very bold of you to uh, host a podcast when you've just learned to speak yesterday. I, I, I thank you. Um, so then Babette takes her hand and shows her, like, by some psychic means, the sort of horrific war that went on between humans and the Nightbreed, um, with lots of Nightbreed being killed, basically, in horrific ways. Um, so, yeah, so then she's, like, she's all, like, cry and, like, sympathetic and, yeah, understands the plight of the Nightbreed at this point. Because Boone and Laurie want to stay together, um, and it's not allowed, uh, by Nightbreed law, a natural and a Nightbreed can't be together, they're kicked out of Midian, um, by Lylesburg, um, who's the old dude. Um, he, they end up going back to the motel, uh, where they were sta- where, where Laurie was staying. A cutaway segment, uh, in the meantime is that Decker finds this old dude who's quite quirky with a kind of eccentric taste, which I, which I admire. Is it, a sh- uh, is it like a shop or a station? Like yeah, a I think it might petrol be a petrol station. station with a little, like, shanty house at the back, um... And the old man's like decorated in little like uh, plastic toys all over his body, which is kind of unusual. Um, and um, Decker ends up asking the old man about Midian, and um, it turns out that the old man knows, knows tons uh, because he wants to become a member of Night. Well, and also because everyone seems to know yeah, everything about it's, it's the worst kept secret. secret. <laughs> yeah. um, and so he tortures the old man and telling him how to kill Nightbreed um, and finds out there's just like various ways they can all die, like bullets and uh, sunlight and, and fire. Anyway, so uh, yeah, Decker then goes back to uh, the motel, I guess, second-guessing that Laurie um, and Boone are going to go back there and uh, slaughters everyone in the motel. Um uh, with the aim of uh, basically framing them and calling the police so that when Boone is found there with all the bodies, um, he will be arrested again. <laughs> what is the... Um, how much does Dr. Decker already know about Midian and the Nightbreed before all of this happens? Well, there's a funny line, and I don't know like, which I made a note of, but um, he says something like... Um, 
how he spent a lot of time cleaning up breeders, I guess his shortening of Nightbreed. And, um, and so I think, basically, he knows a lot about it and he hates Nightbreed. Um, but you don't get that backstory, so you don't know why he hates Nightbreed. And, yeah, like, obviously, weirdly, that he hasn't ever discovered Midian, given that everyone just knows where it is. <laughs> and you just go through a gate and then you're there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess maybe his back story would have been explored in the 10-hour director's <laughs> cut. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I guess it makes sense. But it would be nice to know why he hates Nightbreed, but, yeah, you never really find out, but that his, his sole purpose is to destroy them. And I'm guessing that all the families that he's killed are meant to be, like... DL Nightbreed, people who are living in the real world, but who knows. Mm. Um, uh, so yeah, so then um, Boone and Laurie go back. Uh, Laurie notices through a hole in the wall <laughs> that there's all the bodies. Uh, Boone goes into the room, sees all the blood and is like, oh, mm. um, And uh, <laughs> returns to his Nightbreed form, which is kind of the same as him, but just with some curly lines on his face. <laughs> yeah, he really, really reminds me, especially when he does little transformation bits but he really reminds me, as I could say, in and out of drag, oh. as uh, of uh, Angel in the Buffy series. Oh, yeah. And he's got that kind of heavy brow, and he looks like he'd fuck you and then beat you up. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, so then um, he just uh, can't resist uh, the sweet, sweet blood um, and uh, dips his fingers into it and then, like, kind of deep throats it in quite an erotic fashion. Um... <laughs> Then, yeah, so then the police all arrive and arrest uh, Boone. While uh, Boone is in prison, Decker starts sort of like rabble-rousing and convincing the police that there's like monsters living underneath uh, the the uh, the graveyard, which obviously everyone already knew, so I don't know why I'd <laughs> be surprised to the local sheriff. Um, but yeah, so they send some people down there. They actually do find um, some people. Oh, they find um, the sailor guy, what's his name, Kinski, first. Um, and they drag him out into the sunlight after ripping out his nipple ring. Um, and um, yeah, calls him like a freak and stuff. Boone, back at the police station, is uh, like basically in his cell. Uh, all, the, all the police and the sheriff come in um, and say, you're a freak and a cannibal and you don't belong in this town. And then beat the shit out of them and leave them on the floor. In a way that looks like they're going to, like... It, it looks really like... Like, he puts on some black gloves and it just looks like it's going to be really kind of, like, seedy. Or yeah, like, like, he looks like he's going behind him. Um, but it ends up that he just punches him in the back, mm. I think, which is yeah, sort of weird. In the meantime, Laurie and Narcissus um, uh, form... Oh, and Rachel. Uh, Smoky Rachel. Um, form, <laughs> form a gang um, uh, to bring and release Boone out of prison. Um, uh, yeah, Rachel does this by becoming smoke and then getting her wabs out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then kissing one of the cops um, who dies. Um, <laughs> then they get Boone out and on the, they're basically the militia have all formed at this point and they're ahead of them heading to Midian. Um, and uh, by the time they get there, they've already set up all the, the bombs and stuff and they're all exploding it so yeah and then this is funny on the way the militia are just like yeah we're going out there with god on our side and they're just like really kind of like forcing home that they're like the good guys basically and midian are like evil even though they've done nothing to provoke them mm. those innocent little monsters so yeah so then they the battle basically commences um 
uh, Boone is trying to convince them that they need to try and defend themselves because they're obviously not used to fighting. And yeah, so then there's just like a big like action battle scene occurs basically, and with lots of the monsters coming out and using their special powers in cool ways. Um, and um, there's that porcupine lady. She gets her wabs out, uh, seduces them, and then spikes them in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the guy with the kind of oh, the slits in his belly where the two like kind of yeah. claw things like kind of come out and then like, suck out oh. eyeballs. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Boone does some kind of impressive ninja flying kicks at people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's, yeah, the, the, the vigilante awful people are harassing the children, which is very mean. And, um, and then in the middle of it, Deco finds Boone um, and is like, death everywhere and you and me in the middle. Um, and then they fall into the ground um, and fight. Um, and he kills Deckard. Does he? He kills Deckard at this point. Oh yeah, it's a really good get. The, the way that he kills him is cool. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, like Deckard like stabs him um, with a large like giant sword basically, and then to kill uh, Deckard, he then like hugs him basically. Yeah, he like pulls him towards him in a sexy, <laughs> painful embrace. Yes. <laughs> um, and throws him in. At this point, um, uh, they're lo- it looks like they're losing. So um, what they decide to do is release uh, the Berserkers, um, who only seen briefly having in the film, but basically um, they're described as monsters so bad they'll rip off your head and shit down your neck. <laughs> um, which I was like, that's the one line I remember from the film when I was little, because I was like, that is bad. <laughs> <laughs> Those berserkers truly are berserkers. Um, and also they say, like, there's kind of resistance to let them out because it's like, they can't be controlled. Yeah. Right um, so then, uh, yeah, they, they release the berserkers and they, like, basically, yeah, rip everyone's shreds um, and throw them around a lot. Yeah, um, and then the city of Midian is obviously, like, falling apart and apparently, like, performance not very pleased about this and so he decides to actually destroy it himself. I feel like he's quite reasonable about it though because he says um, it's come to an end no one can ever live in the no no home is forever uh, he's quite yeah, kind yeah, of like yeah. reasonable about it and he kind of but he puts it on Boone to like rebuild or, or yeah like, well they say they find him again so yeah he sinks into the ground before me and I guess he's going to pop up elsewhere and then let's try and find him yeah and then um, they go out Laurie gets uh, hurt somehow which I don't remember actually um, and is about to die and it's like please turn me into Nightbreed um, and uh, Boom yeah gives her a little bite and she does become Nightbreed um, and then all the cops I guess are dead or gone and it ends with uh, the Nightbreed all standing triumphantly, looking over at uh, Laurie and Boone. <laughs> Representation! Yay! Yeah. Um, start with, I guess, people of colour. Um, there's, I think, one. Um, who's the main character? The sheriff. Yeah. Uh, oh, he's, he's an inspector. Oh. Inspector Holby City. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, is, he, is he English? I guess so, yeah. Um, a lot of it was filmed in England, so I Clive guess... Clive is English, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess it's probably quite likely, actually. That just was he like, doing an American accent now? Uh, 
He wasn't speaking enough to know, actually, really. I'm sure, I'm sure he spoke enough yeah, for us to recognise yeah. an accent. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, he wasn't given much to say. But I guess I just uh, always assume this sort of film is American, but... Um, I mean, yeah, it was based But in he America. is in Holby City and presumably is English. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's, like, a well-rounded... And, well, not that well-rounded. You don't know much about his, like, backstory. Or yeah. His life. But he is... He is He's not, like, a force for evil, necessarily. Like, no. he is kind of part of who turn out to be the baddies. But I feel like he's acting in good faith. Yeah. Um, um, but also, a cab. <laughs> yeah, a cab. Um, uh, it doesn't seem like any of the Nightbreed uh, people of colour, so... Although there is some saying. culturally appropriate fleshy dreadlocks. Yeah, but, I mean, I guess dreadlocks made out of flash. Is, um... Is uh, Baphomme not played by a black person? I thought that, yeah, but um, I tried to find out more information about him, but he was only Baphomme in the film, and there's no other information about no him. No pictures of him, more. No, either. and the picture of him is as Baphomme. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely, he is painted black, but he looks, I, I think features, he was... Uh, his features yeah. are quite black. He's <clears> also <throat> quite fit, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, he is. Um, he could m- make me Baphomme. <laughs> 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 Just <got that. laughs> um, so I think that's it on uh, PSC representation. But then I guess there is like a wider reading of this that is more about race and not about queerness. Because I know like we'll talk um, more about the kind of yeah. the queer reading of it. But like it is about a race of people who, who, are, persecuted. who are also considered to be kind of bad. Yeah, but who are actually completely harmless and just yeah. wanting to kind of exist. Yeah. So I feel like. I don't know, I've never really heard any kind of readings about it as a kind of, more of like a sort of uh, a racial distinction rather than like an otherness sort of... No, I mean, definitely is just like an otherness and it's more like a race, you're right, really. Um, Yeah, because... Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that's right. And also, I guess like, as a race, it's quite a sort of like... I mean, I guess my one of my big criticisms is I don't think any of the characters are really developed to the point that you give that much of a shit about them. Yeah. But the uh, the Nightbreed are, like, very... They're not, like, a homogenous race. They all have their own... They all look completely different. They all have mm. different powers and abilities. Some of them are, like, dicks, but most of them are, like, nice. <laughs> yeah, which is, um, I guess, why maybe um, the reading of them being, like, a culture or a community... Um, sort of like, you know, like LGBT, um, like is sort of maybe more fitting because they are sort of a broad spectrum of people under one. But so, of... but so are races, like that's the point. <clears throat> oh, yeah, um, yeah, 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 right. So yeah, uh, we'll, we'll do women. Um, uh, I, I feel like Laurie has two really nice relationships in this with women. Oh yeah, um, that's true. She has a relationship with Cheryl Ann, who is with us far too briefly because she's mm, one of my favourite characters. Um, I mean, they are talking about her trying to find uh, yeah. Boom, yeah. but it's her trying to save him, not trying to like... Um, yeah, they're not talking about it. Yeah, they're like, oh, I need him to love me. It's like, yeah. no, I mean, he, he needs to be rescued, so she's going to be the kind of the knightess in shining armour dress. Armouress. <laughs> <laughs> and Cheryl Ann is just like, I think it's actually one of my favourite bits in, this, in the film where, you know, like, because um, there's this thing about, like, uh, kind of 
in clubs and bars, like the women's toilets being like a safe space for women where they kind of meet friends that they've never met and, you know, while they're doing their makeup or whatever. Mm. And they instantly form this bond where all of the guys in the bar are like these kind of like lechy, horrible men. And then they're in there and she's just like, oh, you need some help? I'll help. I'll drive you there. Like, yeah, And it's true. a really like nice moment. But the other relationship, which is very lovely, is with Rachel. <clears throat> yeah. Because she... From the very beginning, I assumed she was being kind of lured and tricked with that little kind of wolf version, child, bald, wolfy thing. Beauty. A beauty uh, <laughs> known later as Babette. Um, I Babette, you didn't see that coming. <laughs> Did all, I stutter? <laughs> all Babettes are off. Um, and uh, yeah, so she initially like saves her baby and then she saves her again at the end. Yeah, um, that's true. she protects her from being uh, killed by the kind of invaders. Yeah, um, she becomes a strong nightbreed ally. Yes, um, in the film, I think. Yeah, and all the female monsters are pretty cool as well. But I mean, they're not very developed, but they're, they're pretty awesome. Queer representation. Um, yeah, I mean, like I think. I think there is one actual, maybe, overt, like... Who do you think that is? Um, I think it's uh, the guy with the slits in his stomach and the, the blue demon with the horns. Oh, um, the one that I said looked like de Hoffering. Yeah, so their name, actually, is... Uh, the guy with the slits is called Leroy Gom. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. Um, and uh, the blue demon is called Lude. Um, uh, so yeah, because there's a scene basically, um, apparently that you don't really see, uh, well you kind of see that they're hanging out together and they're quite, they talk quite close to each other's faces and there's kind of like an intimacy between them, but you don't know whether that's just Nightbreed way or whether that... And also it's quite noisy down there, so you can get quite <laughs> close to here. But apparently there's a scene that in the battle where, um, Lude falls on the ground and, and Leroy looks around for him and, um, you see, apparently it's only there for a split second, but you see, uh... The, um, he bends down, like Leroy bends down to Lude and they touch faces. Um, I literally don't barely remember these characters, let alone that scene. Uh, uh, but you remember Leroy with this lovely bowl of uh, eels? Anyway, whatever. I literally don't. Ah! I, <laughs> um, I see, it's funny because I thought the, the, the character that I read most as gay was actually a natural, not a nightbreed. And it was the priest. Oh! Um, <clears throat> That's interesting. And he was, like, really eager to join the Nightbreed. And there was the bit where, like, as soon as they said, like, we we don't trust you because you're a man of God or whatever, he's just, like, fine and takes off his, his oh, dog yeah. collar. And he's like, he's like, take me with you. I have to see. I have to see. And yeah. he also kind of reads as a bit kind of, like, gay anyway. Yeah. Um... um... Also, I thought uh, Narcissus, uh, obviously, uh, he's uh, quite open uh, sexually. Um, uh, uh, some might say queer or bisexual, perhaps. Maybe pansexual. Maybe there's a word for monsters that I don't know. Uh, monster sexual. <laughs> monster and natural sexual. All sexual. I, I like his little flirty bit with the sailor when he yeah. walks past me. He's like, I like your tattoos. Yeah, and it touches his chest. Um and yeah, that's what I thought. And then also the fact that he's just like all over Laurie and has that mm. girlfriend who's like a corpse and a bread. Oh, <laughs> I love trying. her. I love her. Yeah, like with <laughs> and her feet just dangling. <laughs> um, also, uh, Pelican, um, his early interaction with Boone, where he's like hungering for his flesh um, and calling him meat, I thought mm. was quite kind of like homoerotic y. Um, yeah, I think the. Um, 
I mean, obviously, like, uh, the most kind of basic queer reading of it is, like, oh, these people who are seen as bad, who are in a big community that's kind of underground, it's a subculture, this sort of thing, like, is... I'm not sure how much I read that myself, but I think there are some really queer moments. But it's interesting to think that they're... I, I get a bit confused with what they're trying to... or what Clyde Barker is trying to do with this kind of narrative, because it seems like the the... The Nightbreed aren't all good, which is good. Like yeah, they're, not, yeah. they're not like kind of pure and innocent. Yeah. But they also, you know, so their, their law that they have dictates that they can't kill a natural. But it also dictates that they can't be with a natural either. Yeah. Um, which, I don't know, seems kind of like anti-queer, because it's almost like they're rejecting mm. the outside world as well, whereas like most of us who've grown up queer know that before we realise that it's better underground, um, we are desperately trying to be part of that world. Um, but uh, the other thing I found weird was uh, Dr. Decker's kind of identity and where he fits, because he portrays the Nightbreed as evil and murderous, mm. which they aren't, but he is. And when he is murdering, he wears a mask that makes him kind of look like he's one of the Nightbreeders. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what that means. Like, maybe it is just that they wanted it, it to be more traditional horror, so they've given him, like, a little mask as a kind of slashery figure. Yeah. Um, actually, um, one of the the interesting quotes I read was um, this filmmaker, Alejandro Jorowski, who I've never heard That's of. That's beautiful. Yeah, thank you. It's just very... My natural tongue. Um <laughs> 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 um, said that um, liked the film and called it the first truly gay horror fantasy epic um, that suggests that there's a large canon that followed this I know. I'm not sure um, there is. And, uh, saying that he read the, the it, as a non-consummated relationship between the Doctor and Boone and that being the central theme um, so I saw that review and I read it more that he read it as an unconsummated relationship between a Doctor and his patient so not necessarily about those two specifically, but more like the kind of relationship between a therapist and their patient. Unconsummated, though. What do you mean, like, sexually? <clears throat> well, I, that is open for interpretation. Right. Um, I don't think it literally means that there's anything between those two. Yeah, because I, I was desperately trying, because I obviously knew that before, and I was trying to, like, read that into it in any way I could. And, like, the only bit that I vaguely saw then is, like when he calls him at the beginning of the film in, in the middle of the night and he's like topless on the phone looking all sweaty and uh, they're just like you must come see me tonight and he's like I can't and that was it like I was just like I can't see any other except the fact that he's obsessed with him and he wants to kill him but that's a part of the Nightbreed stuff I guess it's not, it's not mm. to do with him um, and also it's like he needs a scapegoat that he can blame all of these murders on yeah so yeah I think that's I mean, like, yeah, I can't think of any other sort of queer... I mean, except for, obviously, everything we've just said. <laughs> but... I, I feel like, on the surface, if you read the plot, you can be like, oh, yeah, I can really see the queer reading of that. But I think, in in kind of practice, I like watching it, I'm, I, it doesn't scream like a kind of queer undertone to me so no. much. No, I mean, there's... Um, there's... I, th- I think it's about otherness, more broadly. Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, like, like when he gets, like... Um... 
I was going to say circumcised, uh, baptized. <laughs> yes. Um, they say, like, tonight you leave the natural world behind. Mm. And it's obviously just like, yeah, he just becomes one of them. Um, which, yeah, I, I guess, yeah. Yeah, I guess the other kind of, uh, kind of queer reference to that kind of distinction between the naturals and the night breed is the fact that the sort of normal human beings are referred to as natural. As yeah. if there's something... And you assume that they're kind of that the night breed must by that very essence mean that they're unnatural, which is kind of what homophobes use about. Yeah, people. and I was thinking about like the way that the cops refer to them as like freaks and that they're not on God's side. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, and obviously when the police like beat him up, I'm sure that was quite common practice of like you know homophobia in America um, and here. Uh, but yeah, I, I wonder if the um, if the kind of queer reading of it is more apparent in the book. And the book's called Cabal, I think, yes, which is the name yeah. that is given to uh, Boone yeah. when he becomes Nightbreed. And maybe because I can see like a queer person writing this, it like he wrote it, but then he didn't have, as we heard in the intro, didn't have like full creative control by the end over the film. Yeah. So maybe a lot of that queerness was lost. But I think in essence. I can see why the kind of the the kind of the way that the two communities or societies are kind of pitted against each other is you can read it in a very queer way. Yeah, and I wonder actually in a way whether kind of the fact that Clive Barker is gay it sort of like means that you kind of expect it to be about queer stuff. Yeah, maybe. I think there's an element where we have gone so into kind of like trying to come up with these kind of readings of things that we then can't distance someone's identity from what they've produced. Yeah. Um, and like, and a lot of like writers and directors have like a problem with that. Like, I don't want to just be seeing everything I've seen. Yeah. To be done. It's like, it's just about some monsters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess you can't, there's no disability. Um... Well, again, isn't there? Like, because the, it, it, if it can be an allegory for sexuality it can also be for race and for people who look different and are differently abled and have different bodies like i think that's why perhaps the queer thing doesn't work so well because if it was written and directed in the exact same way but made by a black man then you would be like oh this is obviously about race Uh, and if it was by uh someone with a disability be like this is about disability and And how people yeah so i guess in a sense it's more overriding theme is one of otherness and difference that can be read and maybe that's why it's got a cult following and why it works more now than it did then because everyone who is from a marginalised community of some sort can be like, oh, I wonder if I can see myself in this. Yeah, no, absolutely, that makes sense, actually. I also think, yeah, it's something kind of like the otherness is not just that they're just like, I don't know, just weirdos um, who live underground. They're also like magical kind of beings, essentially, who look kind of like quite interesting and iconic and, 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 and people from the other from the natural side want to be like them like yes. there's kind of a jealousy because I always think like um, I, sometimes I think God, you know like it kind of reminded me a bit of when you know like uh, so queer nightlife the good nights are always well no that's not true but there are always these good nights and good scenes that kind of are very fleeting and don't last very long mm. and they stop being good because straight people discover them <laughs> And then, because then they're Those like, oh, the, the queers know how to have more fun. <laughs> they yeah. have all the drugs. <laughs> they listen to good music. <laughs> they know how to party. And then it's like, I, I do think that there is like, uh, that I, and I, I know you 
feel the same way the way but there's there's something beautiful about being in part of a marginalized community yes, and like I, I wouldn't change it for the world like obviously I, I would like to have the, the oppression to yeah the oppression bits of shit <laughs> but like I don't see straight people having the same sense of community that we do no, and like and I'm sure um, like a, a black community in London would say the very same thing like yes. we've got our very own scene and it's ours and it means a lot and like yeah. um and I think that comes through in the fact that, like, the priest at the end is so desperate, desperate to be part to become, of this that he just yeah. rips at his entire faith and, and job <laughs> and livelihood. Take me! He's like, no, fine, I'm not a man of God if that's what you need me to be. <laughs> that's so true. Yeah, is there anything else in terms of representation that we'd need to cover? I don't think so. I mean, I think the only one that we can really, like, that we that you can really think of in a standalone way is about women because the rest of them could so easily fit into this narrative yeah, of otherness. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, should we do the awards? Absolutely. It's the awards. Um, so now that's over. Um, the, um, what, what was uh, your favourite character? My favourite character? I had two, actually. Uh, I like Narcissus's uh, girlfriend, the skeleton oh. bride. <laughs> I like that when they danced, her feet just limply dangled. <laughs> I love a limply dangling foot. Oh, don't <laughs> Please welcome to the stage, limply, limply dangling. dangling. <laughs> the third. <laughs> Um, I also liked Babette, but only as the kind of peeling, sun-exposed, pink yeah, wolf thing. <laughs> she, she was cute. There's quite a lot of monsters that just, like, you'd see for a split second when they're flashing through Midian. Um, one of them was that this uh, uh, woman holding what looks like a giant swollen baby. And that giant swollen baby was my favourite character. Uh, yeah, <laughs> good choice, good choice. Also, when the priest got like burned or whatever happened to you know that he got of... covered in the magical chairs oh, yeah. from the um, and he loved it yes he did when he ran out you saw someone that looked just normal but with a big massive head yeah and it really reminded me on you know on did you ever play theme hospital no what is it it's like uh sim uh, like not not sim city yeah, it's kind of like, you know, like, uh, it was like a PC game. Okay. Oh, actually, I had it on PlayStation 1. It's where you build a hospital, and people come and visit, and they have all these funny illnesses, <laughs> and you've got to, like... It's really fun. It's more fun <laughs> and less weird than it sounds. Um, and there was this one illness where people had these big bloated heads, and you had to install, like, a little machine that, like, deflated their heads. Oh, fun. Uh, anyway, there was a man that reminded me of them. Sure. Uh, he was my third favourite character. <laughs> and my favourite <laughs> Um, Spoopius. Did you have a Spoopius moment? I didn't moment? have a Spoopius moment, actually. Um, I thought the when you first see Dr. Dacca in the house, um, when she closes the fridge and you see a Oh, when it was, yeah, it was a bit more kind of traditional slashery. Yeah, that, I think that was the only bit, really, that could be described as scary. Yeah. But, um, I think if you were little, you'd find, like, things like the, uh, Berserker's scary, but, um, but yeah, generally it's, it's not a very scary thing. Yeah. And I guess the effects haven't necessarily aged well. Like, they're really cool and campy, but they're not, like, oh, no, a berserker. Yeah, because I was scared <laughs> of the berserkers when I watched mm. it. Um, but, yeah, like, looking at them, it's like weird, lumpy monsters. <laughs> yeah. 
Did you have a most hilarious bit? I didn't find it a lol fest, to be honest. I did laugh a lot, but I think it was uh, sort of unintentional. So I don't have a standout lols moment either, really. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, which seems sad. Cause, I mean, we I even think... managed a lols moment for oh, the orphanage. <laughs> no, yeah, we did laugh at him dancing with uh, your favourite bit with uh, her, her dancing. Oh, yeah. I think he was maybe the funniest character, actually, yeah. in face. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, his kind of weird, like, kind of coquettish flirtiness as yeah. well. Like, yeah, maybe he was the funniest character. Yeah. Um, best death? My favourite death was the uh, the Nightbreed with the kind of the arms that came out of his belly when he plucked the eyes out of the the policeman. Yeah, that's iconic. Um, I'd like to see more of, of that happening to policemen. <laughs> more, please. <laughs> exactly. Um, and uh, my favourite was, I've already talked about the bit where um, Boone has got the knife through him and he hugs Dr. Decker to death oh, with yeah. the giant sword. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, that's nice. pretty cool. Uh, worst death? I didn't necessarily have a worst death. No, I didn't. I, I don't know if, if you can tell, but I did find this all very difficult to follow. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, like, yeah, I mean, like, during the battle scene, there's probably something that's not that interesting. Like, the berserkers do seem to just pick people up and throw them rather than ripping them apart. Yeah, I think given um, the build-up to the berserkers, the way that they go on a ramp, oh, they, they're dreadful, they can't be controlled, and then yeah. they're just like, wee! Yeah, they just throw people around, <laughs> yeah. and like, they don't even rip off their heads and shit down their necks, no. as promised. <laughs> um, so yeah, maybe the worst deaths are just the berserkers and what they do. Queerest moment. Um. I have, uh, I have two. Oh, maybe one is uh, when the priest with the dog collar, yeah. uh, when he takes the dog collar off, and he's like, Christ. "I have to, I have to see. Take me with you." Especially because he does that almost directly after being called a faggot as well. Um, uh, yeah, I, I find him yeah, a really true. interesting character actually because he's also a priest in prison. Yeah, um, he has a weird bloody hand that's never really explained as well. And he, I guess that kind of the idea of a priest in prison, especially in a film in the uh, in 1990 or whenever it was made. Yeah, like that is that seems like uh, you, you wouldn't expect to see a priest in prison essentially. In yeah, a film in those days. I think like, it's because they're supposed to represent good. Bit, yeah, a bit crazy, and I think that the cop is thinking that he can use this crazy to rabble rouse um, the vigilante mm. group. Which he ends up not doing. He ends up being like, please stop killing everyone. I love yeah. them. I want to be them. <laughs> yeah, I, I find him a very queer character. Yeah. Um, and then the other bit is the your uh, your best death, the huggy, stabby thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's quite a queer moment to end. Because that is like, that is the death you're waiting for throughout. Yeah, Of his true. like single arch nemesis. Yeah. Um, and it's a really intimate way to kill someone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I think I've already mentioned mine. Uh, well, I think, um, for me, like, it's uh, the relationship between the blue demon and the, the guy with the slits on his chest. Um, I can't believe I missed this entire Yeah, I mean, they were just, they were quite kind of intimate, and so it was like, they, they looked like they were in a loving relationship, to be honest. Mm. And, yeah, and then obviously um, the way that um, Narcissus is really flirting um, and you know, talking about his tattoos and, and he goes like, oh, sailors. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess there's a whole kind of sailor thing as well, like, yeah. whereas that's kind of 
seen as like a symbol of queerness. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and on to sexiest character. I have two. Oh, One yeah. who I think might be the same as yours. Sure. Which is Boone. Yes. Boone like Boone is, is objectively fitty. hot. Yes. Um, nice board, nice face, lovely luscious, it's luscious got it locks. What's going on? Luscious locks. Luscious. Um, but luscious. also, Cheryl Ann is a babe, oh, yeah. and she's really cool. She's really confident. She's she's gone out to a pub on her own just to get some D. Yeah, um, she cool. she kind of yeah. She's she's hot. I really think she's yeah. She's great. <clears throat> Yeah, obviously, as you said, Boone, I think he's a fitty. There's that weird scene right at the beginning where after he's taken the LSD and he sets fire to loads of stuff um, and he sees himself in, like, a white, uh, like, the tighty whiteys coming oh, down the yeah. stairs and he's like, oh, what are you doing, Boonie? Uh, giving me a boonie. <laughs> oh, I've got a boon on. I've got a real boon on. <laughs> um, and, um, and the other one is actually Abba Fomet. I think he's, like, really hot. Yeah, he is, actually. Right? actually and he's, he's just, him. like, the way that he was speaking was quite sexy and seductive. Yeah, and, and also, like, gentle. Like, this is what I really yeah. liked about He wasn't like, why have you destroyed? He was like... Ah oh, well, oh, not well. not every house lasts forever. <laughs> Guess we'll have to find a new one. But I'm gonna leave it to you. Bye. Yeah, I'll descend to the ground. Bye. <laughs> Should we talk about pumpkins? Let's talk about no. pumpkins. Yeah. How many pumpkins out of five? I mean, I I enjoy a fantasy horror romp um, more than perhaps you do. Uh, even with that. And the monster design, which I think was incredible. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I'm going to give it a 2.5. <sighs> God, I'll scribble out that other half pumpkin then, because I'm also going to give it a 2.5. Oh. I, um, I'll strugg- I struggle to watch it. I think it's too long. It's very beautiful to look at. I love it aesthetically. And I think I appreciate it more having spoken about it more now. Yeah. Um, I, d- I did struggle to follow the plot a little bit. And also, I feel like, I mean, obviously it fits within the horror genre, but it is a fantasy film with with horror characters, yeah. I think, more so. And it's a bit too action-heavy for me. Um, yeah. I would have liked more dialogue and more character development. But on the whole, it, it is a romp, and it's good. Yeah, I think it's very watchable, despite you zoning out. <laughs> I think um, it was the length of it, you know. Yeah. I really do. Like, I, I feel like, I like a kind of, like, Unless there's a lot of like, like we, you know, Hereditary and the Orphanage were long films, but not Hereditary, uh, uh, Midsummer. Midsummer. But they're jam packed with plot. Yeah. This was jam packed with action, which I find less interesting. Yeah, and there was also <clears throat> reveals of like new monsters and new prosthetics mm. and new faces and giant babies. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, with not much sort of like character development, you're right. Um, I'm kind of curious actually, um, I didn't read about it um, in terms of. What what the what the cut would have been like with the like yeah, the director's cut essentially whether that would have been more character development sort of interesting as well that Doctor Decker was only a secondary character how that how that fits into it really like because he does seem to drive the plot like essentially well I mean I wonder if maybe the kind of the people who meddled with Clyde Barker's vision maybe did us a bit of a favour because I think without him it. Yeah, I, I feel like in this film it was difficult to know what people's motivations were. And I think part of that was by design, yeah. because we're supposed to question who's good and who's bad. 
But I, a lot of the time, I was just like, so why is he doing this? Like, why is, what, what's the motivation for this? Yeah. I really struggled with that. It was funny, actually, because I was thinking with all the kind of guest stars and the fact that David Cronenberg's in it and all the people that he loves from Hellraiser and all these things, I wonder, it just seemed like he was like, oh my God, guys, I got 11 million, let's have a party! <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> all my friends like, can come. Wh- was this before or after Hellraiser, the first it's one? It's after the second one, actually. Is it? Yeah. I, I like this better than Hellraiser's. Oh, really? Yeah, because I, I think Hellraiser suffers with the same problems for me. I mean, Hellraiser is like a neater, tighter film yeah. that has a more clear narrative. Yeah. But it does just seem like, in, in both films, like he's kind of rushing through the plot so he can show you all of the cool monsters. Yeah. Um, and for this one, for me, the monsters were better. Yeah. And also, like especially Hellraiser 2, that was a messy plot. Like yeah. that is that is just like look at these she's, shocking she's things. She's a messy bitch. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, I mean maybe it's as it's as good as the first Hellraiser. Maybe. Yes, I think I think well I still prefer Hellraiser one at least. Mm. Um, but but yeah, I, I I do I do have a place in my heart for Nightbreed. I think I saw it when I was quite young, and I do remember some of the monsters and like. Interesting, the one that looks, like, um, quite fat with the, the body, like, with the face oh, yeah, in the middle yeah, of yeah. his belly. Um, uh, I just remember him being in it more, but... He's a, he also features in a lot of the art, like, the promotional stuff. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it was maybe just he... that they were just really pleased with themselves about how they made it, but they didn't have a story for him. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, maybe I just remember it from the posters. But yeah, I mean, it just seemed like a lot of work went into like the kind of like the, the character design. I, um, I, I guess I, I wonder if it makes because it did go on to be a comic book series, didn't it? Yeah. I wonder if it works better in that format because of the kind of the denseness of the world building and stuff that and, you can't get to see much of in a two-hour film. And I guess like um, like uh, I said at the beginning that his plan for it was the Star Wars of horror movies and was to have like sequels and sequels and sequels. Mm. And so to set the groundwork for this kind of like giant sort of really like expansive horror mm-hmm. community um, that then would have like filled up the, the latest stories and um, that probably makes more sense. Um, maybe if he'd known it was going to be just a one-off standalone, he would have just sort of pared back a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, arguably, maybe he should have anyway if he was going to develop stuff more because it's, yeah. uh, I, I, I think it's messy. I think it's messy, but great. But messy. Yeah. And yeah, like I said, I wonder what it would have been. Yeah, I mean, it's impossible. Well, it's not impossible, but apparently the, the, the recut version is like quite kind of differing in quality and sort of like almost feels like a bootleg um, mm-hmm. because of the recut footage from all the videos and stuff that they mm-hmm. found. But I wonder how that flows actually and whether that makes more sense or makes a difference. Yeah. Yeah. But you can't sniff at two and a half pumpkins, can you? No, delicious. <laughs> <laughs> It's time for the spoopy bit. <gasps> <laughs> um, and <clears throat> inspired by the uh, the sinister underground goings-on oh, of, uh, of Nightbreed, I thought to share a little anecdote about uh, the, the, the hallowed tunnels of the catacombs of Gay Paris. Oh, the gay um, holes. <laughs> what? Uh, so the, uh, the catacombs were uh, established as a kind of public health measure because the cemeteries of Paris were overflowing. Mm. Uh, too many dead people, not enough space. Classic. Um, classic. So in 1786, it was decided that bodies from the cemetery would be transferred 
to the existing tunnels underground which had been made for mining lime. The old multi-bodies that were already there. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, and there ended up being over six million uh Bodies, old multi bodies, mainly bones. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the tunnels are between two hundred and three hundred miles worth uh, under Paris. Um, Although only one point five miles of those today are accessible to the public. Um, The rest, it's been illegal to enter since nineteen fifty five. And there are you look confused. Yeah, why is it illegal? Just because they're so mouldy. Well, I think it's because they're so cumbersome and take over the whole like they're, they're like 200 300 miles worth so they're probably very difficult to kind of police yeah a cab um <laughs> all of that space but um the it, they, it also has loads of secret entrances um Ooh. most of them have been covered up but they do occasionally discover new ones um and this story uh, makes reference to one of those secret entrances, which probably wasn't a secret entrance, actually. So oh, just just an entrance, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so uh, there were a lot of, and there still are a lot of uh, cataphiles, they're called, um, which is kind of people who explore the tunnels. Not people who fuck cats. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Not that I know of. Um uh, in the 1990s, a group of men, cataphiles, if you will, um, were exploring and they came across a discarded video camera oh. and it was lying in a puddle um, and it was covered in mould. So it had obviously been there for a while. Mm. Um, and obviously as the 90s, as it was the 90s, it was one of those cameras that had the videotape inside of it. Giant one. Giant. Um they watched it back, um, and it was still in completely working order, apart from the mould. Um, this is a true story. It sounds like a found footage horror film story. <clears throat> well, maybe I'll be getting to that. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, so they watched the videotape. and all died in seven days. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and then a little girl crawled out of the well. So it, the video, is it's, it was filmed by a man who was exploring the tunnels... Uh, and it's thought he would have been exploring the tunnels in 1993. Although there are knows, man. Well, we don't. <laughs> okay. Fair. He he could his voice could be read as male. Oh, I um, see. And he was. It was kind of just his point of view, and it was just uh, with. Uh, it's like quite poorly lit, and it's in black and white, and oh. it's just lit from the light on the camera because at the time there weren't. It wasn't. I don't know if only parts of it would have been lit. Yeah. Um, and. It's of him just exploring tunnels and you can kind of hear his breathing and he'll occasionally kind of stop and pick up some bones and have a look at them. Um, As you do. (laughs) Just cruising for bones. (laughs) Um, And then uh, as the video progresses, he starts to get a bit more frantic and starts breathing very heavily and starts to run um, and occasionally turns around with the camera to look behind him as if there's someone chasing him. And he's getting very, very panicked. And the video, or the last we see of him in the video, mm. is he drops the camera in the puddle and you see him running away. Um, and he was never heard from or seen <gasps> again. Um, oh, so he, gosh. and the camera just kept recording until it ran out of uh, tape. So the man was never identified, nor was he ever found. Um, and this uh, this video was made public in t- 2000 on a TV show called Scariest Places on Earth. Ah! Um, many think it's a, think it's a hoax, 
<clears throat> because uh, they think it was made just for the TV show. Oh, uh, um, right. Because the fact that n- the man has never been identified, there's never been kind of like a missing person who went out with a video camera who's been kind of, <laughs> you know, that anyone knew anything about. Yeah. Um, and the fact that even the, the cataphiles who found it weren't named, um, it just seems a little like it might be a lie. But um, but there has been some research done about the fact that... Because obviously it seems like he's running away from something or someone. Yeah. But uh, there's research done about the effects of disorientation and isolation. And obviously it's very easy to get lost in those kind of... Uh, body caves. Yeah, less accessible <laughs> areas of it. Um, and uh, the effects of disorientation and isolation include panic, uh, walking in circles... Ah. Um, uh, drops in mental performance and even hallucinating, oh, and um, death drops, and death drops, and, and dropping cameras. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's unknown what whether that was real or not, but I think most people think it was a fraud. Oh. Um, however, in 2017, two teenagers uh, were lost in the catacombs for three days. Oh. Um, they never really said why they were down there or how they got down there. But when they were found, uh, they had to be taken to hospital to be treated for hypothermia. Um, but then there is someone that we know definitely did get lost. Someone uh, we know. Someone... <laughs> 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 yes, intimately, uh, from 1783. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it was a man called Philibert Asper. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) you know Philly. (laughs) Philly Bear. (laughs) Um, I realise now that is how you pronounce it, because I was thinking it was Philibert, but it's French, isn't it? Um, Philibert. So he went missing from his home in, or at least he had been missing from his home since uh, 1783. He worked in a hospital as the porter, um, and there was a staircase into the catacombs from the hospital's courtyard. So he went down there, got lost, um, wasn't found until uh, kind of 11 years after he went missing, but his body was found... Alive like... or dead? <laughs> his living corpse was found. Um, <laughs> when it was found, it was only like a few feet away from an exit. Oh. Um, so, yes, unknown what, what went on there. But um, his ghost allegedly haunts the tunnels now, um, but he's seen as being like a protective figure who's kind of... Uh, is protecting people from something in the tunnel. Something. And it might be that he's just protecting them from suffering the same fate that he did, which is just getting a bit lost. Yeah. Um, so so I recommend you don't become a cataphile unless you have a trail of breadcrumbs to leave behind you. <laughs> That's my advice. Glow in the dark. Glow in the dark breadcrumbs. <laughs> <laughs> If you're enjoying Bloody Marys, please subscribe, leave a review and share with your friends.